So good to be in Wichita, but does the wind blow all the time? I mean, uh, I think the state bird needs to be the toupee. I mean, it's just blowing everywhere out there. Uh, always try to do something practical to help you, okay? Not going to charge the church anymore for this, just something practical. When you, when you reach a certain age, it's like 50. How many over 50 in here? Okay, just yeah, raise your hand. You're getting old. Uh, uh, I wear loud socks. See those socks? You like those socks? They're good, aren't they? Yeah. When you reach 50, anything loud only put on your feet, all right? Because that's the only thing that stays the same size that you were in college, all right? Don't put it anywhere else, I promise you. Because after 50, your, your fat and your body just kind of become friends. And, and so no matter what you do, your fat says, I've been here as long as you have, I'm not going. It doesn't matter. I mean, you, if it tastes good, spit it out, it still ain't going to work. It's, it's just the way it is. Uh, uh, so something practical just to help you. Actually, I've always been practical. Even my, when, I'm, when I was in private practice, one of my first patients couldn't remember anything. I said, when did your problem start? He said, I can't remember. I said, uh, uh, how long have you had it? He said, I can't remember. I said, what have you done about it? He said, I can't remember. Doc, I can't remember anything. What do I do? I said, here's what you do. You pay me in advance. That's what you do. Uh, so <laughs> always been practical. You understand? Uh, I have, being a psychologist, I've seen some interesting people. He was my nine o'clock appointment. Never forget him. Came in, sat down. I say, what psychologists say? I said, how can I help you? He says, you can't help me. I'm crazy. I said, oh, uh, how do you know that? He said, I've been to psychiatrists. They tell me I'm crazy. I said, well, what are you doing right now? And by the way, if you ever want to be a psychologist and make money at it, always ask people what they're doing right now and don't advise that, okay, because it's not working, okay? Uh, they wouldn't be seeing you, so find out what they're doing and tell them to do something else. But I said, uh, what are you, you seeing a psychiatrist? He said, I'm seeing a psychiatrist in North Dallas. I said, what is he telling you to do? He said, nothing. He says, I'm crazy. I can't be helped. I said, well, uh, tell me your story. So he started telling me his story, and he had a pretty good story, as stories go, but I've heard every story that ever existed. Matter of fact, that's all I've done in my life is sit and listen to people's stories. One of my great fears is just before I die, somebody else's life's going to flash before me instead of my own, you know, because <laughs> I spent all my time listening to their stories. And so, uh, you know, and if you want to uh, come to the book table and tell me your story. I'm a nice guy. I'll listen, but I've heard it, okay? I've heard every story uh, that ever exists. But I was doing what psychologists do. I was maintaining eye contact. I was leaning forward. I was saying, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. I understand how you feel that way, uh-huh. I mean, I was doing what psychologists do. I, I thought I was doing pretty good. After about 20 minutes, he gets up, starts to walk out. He said, I'm leaving. I'm not wasting any more of my time. He said, you're totally incompetent. You don't know what you're doing. And I said, whoa, whoa, whoa wait a minute. I said, uh, you call me incompetent? At least you could tell me why. He said, sir, it had been obvious to anybody, much less a psychologist, a trained observer of human behavior. It'd be obvious to anybody. I have on two watches. They're identical watches. I bought them at the same time, the same place. They've never been over a second apart. I raised that arm so you can see that watch. I raised that arm so you can see that. You never noticed. You never brought it up. You never pointed it out. I'm leaving. I said, whoa, whoa, before you go, could you just do one thing for me? He said, What? I said, take this notepad. I always take notes when people talk. I said, take this notepad. 
I want you to read what's on this notepad in big, bold letters right at the top of the page. I hand him the notepad. He started to smile. I said, no, I want you to read it out loud. He read these words out loud. This man has owned two watches. <laughs> he said, you noticed, didn't you? I said, not only did I notice, I know why you wear two watches. He got excited. His eyes started to get big. He started talking. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Why do I wear two watches? I said, because you're crazy. You told me that when you first came in here. <laughs> he sat down. We had a nice little chat. <laughs> but I told him really that, of course, just to get his attention. And I, and I told you that story just to get your attention. But if you do have on two watches, I'd, I'd slip one of them off. The person beside you would be a lot more comfortable uh, <laughs> as we talk today. Our text today is Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus said it this way, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I like to translate that, all of you who work and have been worked on. You know, some, sometimes you, you work, but sometimes you get worked on by this world, don't you? Come to me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take this yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My friend, there's a lot of ways to get rest out there, but only Jesus gives rest for your souls. He said, take this yoke, this, this way of living life. I want you to put it on you. And anyway, there's what he says about this yoke. This yoke is easy. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Wow. I want to preach a message sometime. Who stole the easy yoke? I mean, you know, we, we have made Christianity so hard and so religious and so unfun. I mean, it's amazing what we've done to what Jesus told us to do. Yeah, he, I mean, I, I, I see Christians sometimes and I say, are, are you sick? No, no, I'm a Christian. You know, uh, let's just look miserable. You know, think, think that's holy if you look miserable. You know, uh, Jesus said, no, that's not the way to live. I mean, when, remember when the angels showed up? What did they say? I got good news of great joy. They didn't say I got a plan to make you miserable for the rest of your life. You know, uh, I got good news here. You see, this yoke, this way to live life works. Now, why would Jesus, you see, if you, if you look at the words of Jesus, it's always talking about this is the way to do it. And he, in, the, in the New Testament, he phrases it like this. You think God's like this, but he's really like this. And he told people all those stories. Remember those stories? You think God's like this, but he's really like this. Matter of fact, you think God's this, like this way? Let me tell you how good God really is. God is so good that if even he had a kid to live with the pigs and a Jewish, Jewish boy in that day, that's the worst thing you could think of. That's the worst thing you could do, live with the pigs. Even if he had a boy that lived with the pigs, God is so good that if that boy came home, he would run to him. And, and that day, fathers, they, were, they didn't run. They didn't. He would run to him and put a ring on him and a robe and throw a party. That, that, you know, that, that's how good God is. God is so good. You, know, you think he's like this? Let me tell you how good God is. God is so good that if even if he had, he had 99 sheep, but only one was lost, he would take 
care of those 99, but then he would go looking for that one lost sheep. That's how good God is. Now, why would he phrase it like this? You think he's like this, but he's really like this. Well, in that day, the only Bible those people had was the Old Testament. Anybody read the Old Testament lately? I mean, I mean God wiped out some folks, didn't he? I mean, remember, remember, I mean, if you were in the ite, you know, if you were in serious trouble, remember those Midianites and Ammonites and Mosquito Bites and Gazootites and, and Samsonites? I mean, I wish you'd have gotten the termites, don't you? I mean, how, how did you miss the ter- did you miss the termites? You know, uh, you know, all those ites, boom, just wiped them out, you see. Uh, so that's the only Bible they had. Matter of fact, in that Old Testament, you don't see the word father very much. Oh, it's there a few times. But it's very impersonal. It's like the father of many nations. And there's a word in the Old Testament. It's there a lot. Fear. 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 But the New Testament, it radically changes. All of a sudden... This impersonal father that's not mentioned much, the word father's all in the New Testament. Matter of fact, it's even different wording. Sometimes it's the, the Aramaic word, Abba, which means daddy. This impersonal God of the Old Testament becomes your personal daddy through Jesus Christ. You see, the Bible teaches that this Jesus is the visible representation of the invisible God. And what you'll see in the New Testament is not the word fear. All through the New Testament, you'll see these words, fear not, fear not. That's why Jesus can say, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. This is the way The yoke of Jesus in your life is the very best life you can have. It's the very best life possible. Not being the best, but being your best. The the way God created you. Well, how does that work? Well, let's take that word best. And some of you have heard me preach before. You'll know we'll actually never finish the message. We we never do. That's why Mark has to invite me back periodically. Uh, B stands for boundaries. If you want to be the best in your life, you have to put boundaries in your life. Why? Because the world's a Ponzi scheme. You see, the world is always telling you, you can have this without that. The problem is, because it is a Ponzi scheme, it's very, it makes it very difficult because you can have this without that, but only for a short period of time. And by the time the that shows up, you're usually addicted to the this. And then that becomes your yoke. That becomes your problem. That becomes your difficulty. See, I, I, uh, I'm, uh, I fly a lot, and, and I, so I'm, I, I go to airports a lot because, you know, my hands get tired flying, and so I, I go to the airport. Uh, and, and usually it's late at night. Late at night I'm in the airport, and uh, there's people movers. I, I love them. You, 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 Anybody been on a people mover lately? I mean, they, 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 they're like horizontal escalators, and they, and they move. I mean, you can go in the pit. It's going one way, and you're going that same way. Man, you can make an all kind. I like, man, you make all kind. You can just go so fast. I like them. But it's usually late at night, and it's usually teenage boys. It's some kind of ball team or something. And, you know, teenage boys are like a certain age, or IQs like plant life, you know. Uh, and uh, 
Sometimes I wonder, can it come back negative, you know, this IQ? Uh, but, but they decide, I'm going to go on the people mover the wrong way. You know, why? Because I'm young and I'm quick and I can have this without that and I can get away with it. And they can't. I mean, you know, they, they're, they're young. They're strong. They, they, they start going down the people mover the wrong way. And, of course, they can go so fast. They're, they're making actually progress. I mean, they're getting down the people mover. And then it's kind of funny because then they start turning around and laughing and congratulating each other. And they go right back where they started. <laughs> you ever known people like that? Boy, they look so successful. They, man, I can do whatever I want to. I, I got my own yoke. I don't know about Jesus stuff. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to get this. I'm going to get that. And then a few years later, you look at their lives, and they're right back where they started. You see, the world's a this game. It's always telling you to have this or that. I mean, you watch TV. You think you drink a Bud Light. The whole Swedish bikini team's going to show up. I mean, how good is that? You know? So kind of put those boundaries in our life. See, the world has always said, well, just self-actualize. You got freedom. Oh, man, that's going to make you happy. No, it's not. It's a Ponzi scheme. You got to have a boundary. Remember the name? Uh, anybody remember the name Sonny Bono? It's going to be like the History Channel here for a minute. Anybody? Sonny Bono, he's a, uh, he is a singer and he's a, married to Cher. You know, he was a uh, politician. He, he went skiing one time. And he decided to ski outside the boundaries. And he hit his head on a tree and was killed instantly. It was interesting to me, uh, pretty ironic, because the same year, one of those, now, he was a, a Republican, old, old Republican guy, you know, at the time. And then a young Kennedy boy decided to ski outside the boundaries and hit a tree and was killed the exact same year. You see, it doesn't matter if you're young or old, Republican, Democrat, liberal, conservative. You hit a tree with your head going 90 miles an hour, you're going to die. It's, it's the way the world works, all right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the boundaries wasn't to keep them from having fun. The boundaries so they could have fun for a longer period of time. You see, the world is always telling you the boundaries, oh man, God's yoke is to keep you from having fun. No, it's so you can have fun for a longer period of time. Uh, they had this school. They had a playground. They uh, uh, built a great playground, had all kind of great equipment. Kids enjoyed that playground. But then the highway department built a, uh, a highway right by that playground cars zipping by. Of course, the kids were afraid, and they, they hovered up against the school building. They, they didn't enjoy any of that playground because of that road. And the, the, the principal said, I got, I got to do something. So he went to the PTA, and he raised enough money to build a fence all the way around that playground. The first day, the fence was up. He looked out the window, and he saw those children enjoying every inch of that playground, playing right up to where the road was. Why? Because they had a boundary of protection. Jesus is saying, my yoke is your boundary of protection so you can enjoy life. B stands for boundaries. E stands for experience. 
You read any self-help book, any success book, they usually have a story in there. And the story is about a, a young bank president. The old bank president is retiring. He's been like president for 30 years. And, and the young man is asking him for advice. And he says, how, how can I be a great bank president? He said, well, you got to make good decisions. And the young guy said, that's it. That's it. I got I to I I make good decisions. He said, well, how, how do I make good decisions? He said, experience. That, that, that's how you make good experience. He said, that's good. That's, that's good. Yeah, I need experience. He said, well, well how do I get experience? Bad decisions. <laughs> and the moral of that little story is, is that's the way you learn. You learn through your mistakes. Let me tell you, that's not the best way to learn. You don't want to make all the mistakes in the world. You can't live long enough to make them all. The best way to learn is the experience of other people, you see. Learn by their mistakes. That's why you read the Bible. That's why you, you come here. Why? Because vicariously you learn that this is the way life works. You see, now the, the world again is a Ponzi scheme. The world says things like this life's like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. You know, that's a lie. It's not like a box of chocolates. Well, it is like a box of chocolates if it's a Whitman sampler. Remember Whitman samplers? You know, you could look up in the top and it would tell you what's in the box. You know, you want fudge and peanuts? Second from the right. Bingo, you got it. You know, uh, now they would wrap up a few. Remember they'd wrap up a few of them and, and surprises, all right? Now, that's the way life really is. You're going to have a few surprises, that's for sure. But pretty much, you tell me what you're doing, I'll tell you how it's going to turn out. Here's what the Bible says. Whatsoever man sows, that shall he also reap. When you do this, eventually, this is going to happen. It's going to take a while, and you may already be addicted to this by the time it happens, but it will happen. Matter of fact, all psychological research shows that that's the way to be successful in life is to have some kind of boundary, some kind of putting off doing this. See, see your atom suit. Uh, you, those have heard me speak before. I call your body your atom suit, okay? You, you may be a female. You may want to call it your Eve suit, okay? That's the body that you carry around you in, okay? It's not you, but it's what you have to carry around you in, all right? And this body, your atom suit, does not want to act better. It wants to feel better. It does not want to plan. It wants a pill. It does not want education. It wants medication. That's your body and that's my body. That's your Adam suit. And you'll never totally redeem your Adam suit. God's got to kill it to get you into heaven, okay? You're never, you're never going to redeem it. But the more you can redeem it, the better off you're going to be down here. Okay, now that has nothing to do with you getting into heaven. So don't become one of those Christians that judges everybody's Adam suit. You know, that your Adam suit does this, mine doesn't do that, you know. You'll be a miserable person to be around. Uh, uh, but the more you can redeem it, the more success you'll have down here. Now, actually, they did a study. They took uh, four-year-old kids. And if you've took any kind of psychology or success course, you've probably heard of this experiment. They took four-year-old kids, and they said, you can eat this marshmallow. Uh, and it was an aesthetically pleasing marshmallow. I don't know if I had chocolate on it, but, you know, you can, this is your marshmallow. You can have it. Four-year-old kids. Now, four-year-old kids do not have much control over their Adam suit, all right? You know, they pretty much came in the world throwing up at both ends, and they had to work on that for a while. And so, uh, so they don't have much control over their Adam suit. Uh, so uh, they, they, they ate 
but all of them just immediately ate the marshmallow. A few of them tried not to eat the marshmallow, but there's no such thing as self-control. You cannot not do anything. The more you try not to do it, the more you do it. Why? Because the brain can only have one thought at a time, right? And so there's no such thing as self-control. You cannot not do anything. That's why the Bible says you've got to put off and put on. You've got to do something else instead of trying to stop this, but don't have time to go in that. That's another deal, okay? So, but a few of them, a small minority didn't eat the marshmallow. They started doing something else, you see. Remember, the brain can only have one thought at a time. You know how time flies when you think about something else? Time flew, and all of a sudden the instructor comes back and says, hey, you didn't eat the marshmallow. You get two marshmallows. But they followed those kids the rest of their high school, through high school. Four-year-olds followed them through high school. The two marshmallow kids were ahead on every variable that they studied. But the SAT, something they could really look at, the SAT, the two marshmallow kids scored on average two 100 points higher on the SAT. Why? Because that's the way success in life is, that you don't do this now so you can do this later. Most of you know I'm from Dallas. I'm a Cowboy fan. They're actually going to be pallbearers at my funeral so they can let me down one last time. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, we, we had a coach. Uh, we had a coach of the Cowboys named Tom Landry. And here's what Tom Landry says. My job as a coach is to make guys do what they do not want to do in order to accomplish what they've dreamed of doing all their lives. That's just not the job of a coach. That's the job of any leader. That's the job of any parent. Matter of fact, that's your job. If you want to be successful in life, then you have to make your Adam suit do what it does not want to do right now so you can have what you've dreamed of having all your life. You see, that's the way it works. That's why Jesus was able to say, this yoke is easy. Why? Because it's going to be the very best life possible when you don't do this and you do this instead. So we have to have experience. Now, life is pretty much pain and simple. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. So People will figure it out. That's what we call maturity. As you get older on that people mover, you start to understand, well, this is the way life really works. And you start making usually wiser decisions as you get older, and we call that maturity. The problem is there's other people in the world, and sometimes they intervene to keep people from suffering from their consequences. And we then get what we call unhelpful, harmful help. You think you're helping somebody, but you're really covering for their irresponsibility so they won't mature, you see. Now, I hate to say this, but Christians are pretty much the worst, all right? You know, why? Because we're told those stories. Remember the story of the Good Samaritan? The guy's in the ditch, and uh, so the Good Samaritan helps him out of the ditch and takes him to a place and said, look, I'll take care of the bill. This guy needs some help, and then he went to his job, all right? He didn't, he didn't just stay with the guy the whole time. He had to go to work. I tell my son-in-laws, best way to help the poor, not be one of them. And so uh, he went to work. He checked on him later, came back, checked on him later. Now, that's what you ought to do if somebody's in the ditch the first time. But I guarantee you, if the next week the Good Samaritan comes by and the guy's in the ditch again, he would say, uh-oh, I made a mistake. 
I thought the ditch was the problem. The ditch isn't the problem. The road is the problem. He's on the wrong road. And every time he gets on that wrong road, he winds up in that ditch. And if I get him out of the ditch, I'm just rewarding him for being on the wrong road. So I'm going to let him stay in the ditch and suffer the consequences of being on the wrong road. Now, what happens when you do that? People get very angry. You know, well, why don't you rescue me? You did it last time. Why don't you help me? You call yourself a Christian and you don't help me. Maybe I'm not bleeding enough. Boom, boom, boom. And they start doing all kind of crazy stuff in order to get help, in order to get unhelpful, harmful help. It's very hard then not to give in to that. And when you give in, you're just giving in to deeper consequences for the person. Not only are Christians the worst, I hate to say this, but women are the worst, right? Matter of fact, they say any alcoholic has to get a thousand miles away from his mother before he'll get better. Why? Because mothers have to help their kids when they're young. They have to cover for them. They cannot let a kid suffer the consequences. You can't let a three-year-old go play in the street. He suffer the consequences of that. So you cover for them. You you. Don't let them do certain things. But what happens is whenever you cover for somebody, naturally, psychologically, you start giving your self-esteem to how that person acts, all right? And that's always dysfunctional. God was the perfect parent. He had Adam and Eve. They didn't do too well. It wasn't God's problem. It was Adam and Eve's problem, all right? But if you're not careful, especially if you're a mother, you will start to get your self-esteem wrapped up in how your child acts. for, For example, When he's three or four, put a coat on him when he goes outside. But now he's 11, and you say, put your coat on. You're not going outside. He said, I don't want to put my coat on. You put your coat on. I I can't play with my coat. You put your coat on. You're not going outside. Now, why does a mother do that? Usually, it's dysfunctional. She does that because she doesn't want the other mothers to say, what kind of mother is that? Let that kid go out there without a coat, right? But now, thank goodness, you understand your self-esteem is not in how somebody else acts. Your identity is in Christ. You don't have to worry about that anymore. You can let the little twerp go out there without a coat. And he'll freeze his rear end off. And and after a few minutes, he'll be knocking on the door himself saying, it's cold out there. I need a coat. And he'll grow up to be a responsible adult. And he won't be in a mobile home beside his mother for the rest of his life, okay? Uh, Experience. S stands for serve. The Bible says that we have a yoke, and that yoke comes out best when we serve other people. You see? Matter of fact, people always ask me, What's your purpose in life? What's my purpose? Everybody's purpose is the same. Your purpose is to bless other people. It started with Abraham. God called out a man named Abraham and said, Abraham, Here's the way it's going to work. I'm going to bless you, and through you, I'm going to bless the entire earth. Okay? Jesus came along, and now because of Jesus, we're all in that covenant with Abraham. Your purpose in life is to bless people. That's my purpose. I will bless people in a different way than you will bless people. Uh, but you don't go to work as a mercenary for money. You go to work as a missionary to bless people. And here's, here's what you have to understand. 
God says, even when people don't deserve to be blessed, you bless them. Matter of fact, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 puts it this way. Even when people do evil against you, don't do evil back. Even when they revile against you, don't revile back. But contrary. In other words, different than the way the whole world thinks. Here's the way you think. I'm still going to bless them. Why? Because that's why you were called to bless. And then God says, when you do that, I will bless you. You see, we get it confused. We think I'm here to bless other people, and then other people will bless me back. Right? I'm going to just bless you, bless you, and bless you, man. I'm going to bless, man. I'm going to bless this lady right here. Bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you, man. I'm just going to bless her, bless her, bless her. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to take a little break. Come, bless her, bless her, bless her some more. You know, bless, bless, bless. You know, uh, man, I'm blessing her, aren't I? Look at me blessing her. I'm blessing her, blessing her, I'm blessing her. Bless. <laughs> but then after a while, I start thinking, now when are you going to bless me back? And I start saying things like, you know, I blessed her. She, she didn't, she's not doing anything for me. You say things after all I've done for that person. You're going to have a miserable life if that's the way you look at life. You're not blessing that person so they can bless you back. They may never, they may, they may, not be, they may be in so much emotional pain, they can never bless me back. You know, I, I guarantee you there's one person in your family, every Every family tree has at least one sap, I promise you. There's, there's at least one person in your family that'll never bless you back. But you're blessing them so God can bless you back. I'll give you a personal example. I, uh, I speak every Sunday. I'm, I'm in a different church. This is a great church. Mark treats me great. But I'm in some pitiful churches, all right? You know, they put me like in a Motel 3, you know, yeah, you know. <laughs> You ever been in a Motel 3? You only get half the Gideon's Bible in a Motel 3. And you got to put a quarter in the bed to keep it from vibrating. I mean, all those places. You know. So I, I, you know, I, I'm in some pitiful churches. And then they, you know, the, the check's in the mail, and it never is, you know. And, and uh, they're just cheap. You know, I told one guy, you're so cheap, you'd want separate checks at the Last Supper. I mean, that's cheap, you know. Uh, but last year, I got an invitation to do a national insurance convention. And I love to do national business conventions because they pay a lot more than churches do. Uh, and that kind of keeps my ministry going. Uh, so man, I thought, man, this is going to be great, man. I did the convention. They paid me a lot of money for that speech. I thought, man, I want to do this some more. You know? So I asked the president of the convention that asked me to speak. I said, uh, why, did, why did you pick me to be the speaker for this convention? Because I want to figure out the system. And he said, oh, I can tell you exactly why. He said, a couple of years ago, you came to my little church in North Carolina. And when he said the name of the church, almost flinched. I mean, because it was one of those pitiful weekends. I mean, I think they did put me in the Motel 3. You know, I mean, it was a small crowd. Nobody bought anything hardly, you know. And I, I, I look, I, I look spiritual up here. I'm as sorry and no good as you are, okay? You know, I, I need Jesus just as bad as you do. I promise you. I get a bad attitude. I get mad at some of these children if they pay me. You know. So I can remember it was one of those weekends, you know, that was bad attitude. Nobody bought anything. But I'm a Christian, and I, you know, it's better to look good than tell the truth, right? You know, so, so when he, so, 
So when he said, you came to my little church, I just kind of smiled and said, oh yeah, I remember being there. He said, yeah, you came at a good time. He said, my mother had passed away a couple of months before. My dad came to live with me. And he was just depressed, I think just angry. He said he used to go to church every Sunday, didn't want to go to church, didn't want to go anywhere. Just sat in that chair over there, that scowl on his face. You were coming, so I got one of those YouTubes. And I said, what? Look at this funny guy. He's coming to our church. I think you'd like him. Watch this. He said he watched that YouTube video, and he started laughing. He said, I hadn't heard him laugh in years. He said, uh, he's going to be at your church? He said, yeah, he's going to be here Sunday. I want you to go with me. And then he said this, which is a good question. Can he be funny at church? You know, because I'm in some churches, their halos on way too tight. You know what I mean? Uh, 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 so uh, I, uh, he said, yeah, that's why they ask him. They know he's going to be like that. They know he's going to be funny. He said, I'll go with you. He said he went that Sunday and uh, said uh, he laughed three or four times in church. He said, that night you're having a couple's banquet. A lot of what I do is I went over kind of the Sunday crowd, get them to come back, especially the men, you know, got to teach them stuff. Uh, so uh, he, he asked him, he said, that, that tonight it's for couples. He said, but I'd like to go hear that funny guy again. Could I, could I go? He said, oh, yeah, I'll call the pastor, but it'll be fine. Said he called the pastor, and the pastor said, yeah, tell him to come sit at my table. And so he sat up front at the pastor's table. He said, I was in the back, so I kind of watched him. Said he just laughed. Enjoyed that. He said, after it's over, said, uh, I got that book for him. I bought that book you wrote, Comic Belief, and you signed it for him. And he said, from then on, every night he sat in that chair and he'd read a chapter every night, and I'd look over there, he'd be smiling. Sometimes he'd be laughing. Every now and then he'd say, Listen to this, listen, listen to what this guy said. Listen, listen, listen to this. <laughs> and he said, In my mind, I thought, if I can ever bless the man that allowed my dad to smile in his last months of his life, he said he passed away a couple months later, I'm going to bless him. He said, when I got to be president of this convention, there's no doubt in my mind that you were going to be the speaker. Now, do I still go to some pitiful churches? Yes. <laughs> but my attitude's totally changed because I only have to bless one person. That's all I got to do. And God says, and I can bless you. Now, let me really encourage you. Nobody ever really does their best. You got this Adam suit. I got it. You got it. Disciples had it. Remember Jesus praying? Disciples are asleep. They got that same Adam suit you got. You're never going to do your best. Two farmers sitting on the porch. One farmer's dog is chasing a coyote. And the other farmer says, man, your, your dog's pretty fast. He said, ah, he's not doing his best. About 10 minutes later, coming back in the other direction, the farmer's dog is out front and 10 coyotes are chasing the dog. And he said, now he's doing his best. <laughs> Let 
Let me tell you the bottom line. Let me tell you why the yoke really is easy. And this is the reason. Jesus came to live the life you could not live, to die the death you could not die, to get you into God's heaven. You see, God sent his best because he knew you could never do your best so you can rest and enjoy the life he's given you down here, knowing that one day you'll create a new heaven and a new earth, and he'll give you a new suit to enjoy his forever family. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together. Lord, thank you that you're such a good God, and thank you that you're our God because of Jesus Christ. Thank you that you came into our world so one day we could go into yours. All you ever want is a family, and you included us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.